Hello, and welcome to episode 32 of the Medical Device Success podcast and videocast. I am Ted Newell, your host, and I'm also the host of the MedTech Leaders community. And you can learn more about that community at medtechleaders.mn.co. The title of today's episode is Considerations and Tactics Behind a Successful Email Campaign, a Case Study. We are honored to have Jeanette Castaneda, Chief Email Geek at Inbox PI, with us again today. Last week, Jeanette gave us a great overall framework for successful email campaigns. This week, we get into greater detail with a campaign for a fictional startup medtech company. In the short life of Jeanette's agency that specializes in email, she has added $15 million to the bottom lines of her clients. Maybe, just maybe, we should listen to what she has to say. Let's dive in. Jeanette, welcome again to the podcast and videocast. It's great to have you back for the second week. Thank you so much, Ted. I'm excited to continue our conversation on email marketing. Awesome. And one of the things I want to share with the listeners is to is that this is part of our series on demand generation. And so this is the third in our series. And last week, Jeanette introduced us to the concept of email marketing, gave us a good overview, but really talked about some very important things. We might touch on them a little bit, but I recommend people go back and and listen to that um, podcast and or view the potty, uh, the uh, video cast. So before we get any further, Jeanette, I'm just going to ask you to uh, introduce yourself again. Okay, I'd be happy to. Let me share my screen. Okay, can you see everything okay? I can. Fantastic. All right. Yeah. Thank you so much, Ted. So I am the chief email geek at Inbox PI. And what we do is we help our customers capture and convert leads at scale and shorten their um, sales process. And I've got a degree in digital marketing from Full Sail University and a bunch of certifications from a variety of providers. Email marketing is always constantly changing. And therefore, it's incumbent upon me and a benefit to my clients to constantly be educating myself on the latest tips, techniques, and uh, processes inside email marketing. And I have been working in email marketing for a few years now. I've earned about $15 million in campaign revenue for my clients. Wow. Uh, I've sent out thousands of emails <laughs> and I specialize in B2B email marketing because it's completely different from the B2C space. And I have a specific focus in healthcare uh, marketing. So that's a little bit about me. Excellent. 15 million. Congratulations. Yep. That's uh that's a real feather in your cap. <laughs> Thanks. It's it's all the power of email marketing. If you do email marketing well, um you'll definitely see success. Awesome. Okay, thank you very much for that. You want we can go back to the full screen. Okay, and one of the reasons I'm just going to review really quickly, one of the reasons we're talking about demand generation and now it's uh, my turn to share my screen 
is that we have a problem in the med tech industry. It's a little different than a lot of other industries. So, for example, a grocery store can be open. You know, they, they can uh, even even with the COVID restrictions that we might currently have or that restrictions that are actually getting um, more severe because of the current outbreak we have right now at the time that we're producing this particular podcast and video cast, uh, you can still go to a grocery store. You could, you can still get your car fixed. There's a lot of things you can still do. Um, but in the med tech industry, we cannot call on doctors. We cannot call on hospitals mm-hmm. unless they really need us there for something very specific and almost an emergency like making sure that critical equipment is working in the operating room or in a path lab or in the ICUs or whatever that might bring company personnel into the hospital. But, you know, our field sales forces cannot make prospect face to face. They don't have the tools and training to prospect virtually. We've been working on that in the med tech leaders community. We've got a, a lot of great uh, content video casts, in the MedTech leaders community that helps address these problems to help sales forces and salespeople. Traditional uh, trade shows are gone and the virtual trade shows have been very disappointing. I just heard from another colleague that had a virtual exhibit at a major trade show in ophthalmology and they said it was very, very disappointing. Webinars remain disappointing as lead generators unless they're done right. That's probably a whole other subject matter. And then the culture of medical device companies, med tech companies, is that they're typically technology and sales driven. So marketing is something of an afterthought. It's almost like a service organization to the sales team or to other parts of the company, which is not good, but that is the way it is. So that needs to change. But those are the, those are the challenges we face with right now, and we have to change that. And so that is the that is the the real big challenge that we're uh, faced with, and people really do have to come around and understand that, and decide that they really need to make some significant changes in their organizations. So that's what we're faced with right now, and what we want to do today is dig into some of the tactics, a little bit more detail from what we talked about last week. To help do that. I created a fictional company. So is this a good time for me to show that slide? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I created a fictional company. Let me go back to my um, slides here. There we go. And it's called Cut Easy. <laughs> not a very, uh, uh, not a great name, not a lot of imagination in that, but I just wanted to have something to, to stick in here. So the company is called Cut Easy and it, they make one product it's called, and it's a disposable electrosurgical instrument. So the good news, it's disposable, which means it's what we call an, an annuity sale. It's going to be people are going to buy you know many of these at a time to stock their operating rooms or outpatient surgical suites. They have one product. It's an FDA class two disposable electrosurgical instrument that makes certain procedures faster easier, safer, and more cost-effective. All the great things that you want in an instrument <laughs> and the next great thing since sliced bread. And at the moment, it can be sold primarily to two markets. There's 
two groups of specialists that are interested in a product like this. One is neurosurgery and the other is ENT surgery. And this company has about 200 leads from their network. Now they just got clearance. Okay. So they just got their FDA class two clearance. And as they've been putting the company together and going through the process of building the company out and growing, you know, the staff at the company via their own network has around, and also they've done a couple webinars and they have a couple white papers from a little bit of the clinical research that they've done to validate the instrument. So through these items in networking, they have about 200 leads okay. that have come through the website and or come through their network. And 60 of those leads are neurosurgeons and 140 of the leads are ENT surgeons. And I sort of did that on purpose because you, as you can see, the neurosurgery market in the United States, at least, is around 3,700 uh, neurosurgeons, while the ENT market is 13,000. So one mm-hmm. market's much larger than the other. Mm-hmm. And they have funding. So we can assume they got some money to spend on um, their efforts going forward. Okay. And while they do, ha- they have a, a something of a sales and marketing strategy in place, part of it is that they know that they need to do some email marketing because they are constrained by the same constraints I just listed in the previous slide I showed. They need to start getting some demand generation, some interest in the product, and some prospects from these leads. They have to turn them into real prospects, Mm -hmm. and that's what we're going to talk about. Okay. Okay, so I'm going to stop sharing for the moment, unless we need to go back to that for some additional details. And before we go into that, or you tell me what you think, Jeanette, should we show the slide of the critical elements first, or should we start talking about this company? No, that's what I was planning on doing is showing the critical elements next. Okay, Um, let's do it. Okay. Okay, so for those of you who attended our webinar, our podcast last week, this should be information that you already know. Um, But we have lots of different moving parts when it comes to email marketing. And these are what I what Ted and I are calling the key elements. We have a campaign strategy and goals, list health and segmentation. And then we have designing the emails and testing how those emails look in various clients. We call that render testing. Then we have um, a person. Now, just just as, a, as an aside, there could be one person in a company who does all these things or larger companies have email marketing departments and each individual has their own specialty or a combination of specialties. Got it. Um, so then, you know, coding the email, coding the email is super important for a lot of different reasons that we can get into later. Uh, and then, of course, we have the copy and we have um, testing, reporting and analysis, ESP management and marketing automation. The last five work together really well. Many people often ask me, what is the best procedure for XYZ? 
And the answer is always, I don't know. <laughs> Let's <laughs> test it. Because your market, your list are individual to you. So yes, there's definitely best practices in email marketing. And yes, you should follow those. But when it comes to the placement of the CTA, or the best subject line to use, or you know what language is going to work better for you, all those things can be tested inside email. And doing A-B testing and and constantly looking at the reports and, and, and analytics and then reviewing your progress and improving upon it based on the tests and the reports. Um, those two things is what makes a gradual increase in the success of your email marketing. And then if in ESP, um, like we discussed last week, it means email service provider. And that is the software that a company uses to send out the emails, to track the lead scoring, to do the marketing automation part of it. And usually an ESP gets tied into uh, a CRM, it gets tied like Salesforce or HubSpot, for example. And so, you know, managing an ESP isn't just about the actual ESP, it's about all the different connections and combinations so that you have a workflow that is as smooth as possible within your organization. So sales, marketing, and customer service are all talking to each other and are all looking at the same data. Okay. So those, yeah. So the, and and like I said before, all of these things work together like a chain, uh, and you want to make sure that every single link in that chain is as strong as possible. Okay. Okay. Very good. So let's go back to a discussion of of this little company, Cut Easy. We're assuming they've got funding, mm -hmm. and one of the things right out of the box is because they're starting from scratch, essentially, they have these 200 so-called leads or parties that have expressed a certain amount of interest one way or the other. It's not a lot. It's something, but it's something to start with. Let's say they do have their goal, their email campaign goal mm -hmm. is at the moment is to increase the number of reasonably serious leads that they have. Mm -hmm. They need to increase that so they have something to work on going forward. So they need to increase that. And they also need to nurture the leads that they have to find out who amongst those leads are perhaps the innovative type, early adopter type of people that mm -hmm. might make the first move in you know, taking action to purchase their product. Right. So... They have so one goal is to increase their database. Another goal is to nurture as they increase it, but all at the same time nurture what they have. And they do want to move some people into the prospect category mm -hmm. so that they have a you know they can turn it over to their um, in-house salespeople, whoever they have as a sales team. Does this sure. sound reasonable? It does. Absolutely. The goal of email marketing, from my point of view, <laughs> the goal of email marketing is to nurture your leads and to shorten your sales cycle. Okay. Uh, so, the, yes, 100%. Okay. So, they've, they've agreed with that. And now we have to come up with, so those are the goals. The, the strategy, of course, is to use email marketing properly. Mm -hmm. um, there could be a couple more things, but if I don't know if it's proper to jump to some tactics right now, but let's, let's maybe start with a couple ideas for increasing 
the number of leads they have. Right. Increasing the lead. So lead generation, like we discussed last week, the first, the first thing you have to think about is um, your prospective customer and what it is that they are looking to solve. Um, and the message that you display to that customer should be consistent at every touch point. So if you're using social media, for example, to promote your company or to promote a specific piece of content, like one of those white papers um, that we mentioned earlier, then the language and the messaging in the social media post should be the same as the language and the message on the landing page where the contact will go once they click on the post. And when they fill out the form and they get an email delivering the piece of content for them, the messaging and the, and the language and the conversation should be in the same exact on message and on topic. So the key elements there are having a distribution place. Social media is one of the things that we mentioned last week. We also talk about pairing um, with a publisher inside your specific niche and, and field and specialty. And then uh, maybe sending out an email, maybe they send out an email on your behalf. The goal of any partnership and the goal of any outreach effort is to make people land on a specific landing page that will capture that lead for you so that you can then nurture it. And one so of the that's that, the first step. And one of the things that you were just saying, and I'm sorry I didn't ask you about this earlier, but you're talking about messaging. Yes. And to really understand the uh, the correct messaging is to do what you you and I talked about the other day, which is you call it voice of the consumer, voice of the customer. Yep. So really, I guess even before we get to where we're talking about here, they should part of one of their tactics should have been to whether it's one-on-one -on -one conversations, maybe some uh, a couple panel conversations, but they really need to make sure that what they view as benefits are the same thing the customers view as benefits. Absolutely. So for example, one of the things that you mentioned when you displayed the slide for EasyCut was that the product was safe, cost-effective, and faster safe. and easier to use. Yeah, faster and easier <laughs> to use. Those are four fantastic benefits, but they are not all going to have the same weight for your customer. Mm -hmm. So your goal is which, where is their priority right now? And you can, there's two ways for you to figure that out. One is for you to send out one message and check out what that message response is, but you're losing people if you do that. If you start trying to play around and see which message, a lot of companies, what they do, <laughs> is they throw all of the messages at the customer right. um, and that dilutes the actual benefit. So by having one-on-one -on -one conversations with those surgeons, by uh, doing voice of customer research, then you find out what is important right now. And that is one of, that, that is, I'm not saying don't mention the other three benefits, but definitely focus on the one benefit that they care about and make that the prominent message on you know, on your various touch points for the customer or the prospect. And it's very likely having, having gone through the process of creating, validating this instrument, mm -hmm. <clears throat> you know, getting ready to produce it. Yep. They've done a little clinical work. So they have some feedback they can have from a doctor. So let's say the voice of the customer for, let's say for both markets, for the ENTs and for the neurosurgeons is that, 
uh, they keep coming back and they keep saying using this instrument eliminates the need for two additional instruments and some uh, movement. It saves me and by eliminating the need for those two additional instruments. I'm saving five minutes in a procedure when it's a critical point in the procedure. And this is really important to me. So we get mm -hmm. some kind of message like that. Okay. So voice of the customer really understand the key benefit that we should be promoting and don't dilute it with um, other benefits that are important, but may not be jumping out like this one benefit that, that the customer is telling us about. Yeah, precisely. And okay. the other thing that I should say about voice of customer research is that you should do it every 12 to 18 months because the priority right now is not going to be the same, may not be the same as it is in 12 to 18 months. So you always have to refresh that voice of customer research to see where your customer is at this particular moment in time. And if I'm correct, when you do an audit of somebody's email campaigning, you almost require a voice of customer a process. What I do with my customers is I will um, ask them if they have any research that they've conducted in the past 12 months. Right. If they do, then when I'm auditing their email marketing, I will take that research into consideration. But I don't require that as a part of the audit. If they decide at the end of the audit, what they get is a prioritized action plan. You know, we discussed all those different features and things that the key elements of email marketing, and they are not, they're all important, but they're not all important at the same same time in the process. So what you get at the end of an email audit is a list of steps on how to improve your email marketing um, in order of priority. And if they decide that they're going to run and, and make those changes on their own, then that's fantastic. I've empowered them to go ahead and do that. If they decide to hire me to help them with any stage of the process, the first step I require is voice of customer research. Okay. Because, because without that, we're just pulling pulling thoughts and information out of thin air and how effective can you be if you're just guessing? Right, right, right. Yeah. Okay. So we've done the voice of customer research mm -hmm. and we're now, and we're looking for ways to increase the uh, number of leads that they have in the system that they can then nurture. And we understand from the voice of customer research that we have a particular benefit that we're going to really emphasize. And we have agreed amongst ourselves at Cut Easy that we're going to make sure that that same message is, is imparted in every area that we're using to create additional leads. It could be social media. It could be a webinar. It could be uh, a purchase to deployment. So, and so talking about this, these are options that we have. We could use social media, a social media campaign uh, via maybe it's LinkedIn, maybe it's um, even Facebook of all places. It's sort of amazing how you can find people on Facebook using Facebook's um, ad program mm -hmm. or, and, or, you can use a deployment service from one of the media. And for and the, the nice thing about using, and when I say media, I'm talking about neurosurgery or ENT media. So these are not the, the peer-reviewed journals because they typically don't accept advertising or don't help with advertising. But typically there's a media, um, like a, almost a news magazine for neurosurgery and the same thing for ENT. There probably are a couple. And these people typically will deploy emails for you for a fee, but it's usually pretty darn reasonable. And the 
audience that these emails are going to have already opted in to receive them. So they look at this as a trusted source. Mm -hmm. So it's a reasonable way to, to execute an email campaign, but then they need a landing page, right? Absolutely. They need a landing page for two reasons. One is you want to make sure that you're carrying out that message that we talked about. Right. Two, you want to have a process whereby you're capturing that lead. That lead costs you money. By paying that publisher to deploy the email for you, um, that lead costs you money. And you want to capture it and nurture it without having to spend more money with a publisher. Every single lead that you have in your system is going to move at their own pace when it comes to the customer journey. And you can, making a a partnership with a publication to deploy your email is fantastic at the creating awareness stage. Um, And you want to take advantage of all the different things that you can do to raise awareness and have the customer or the prospect be aware that you exist. But nurturing that lead happens inside your own email marketing program. Okay. And then a landing page could be the subject of an entire podcast video cast. Mm -hmm. We'll we'll leave it to the fact that it has the same message that we Mm -hmm. learned about in the voice of the customer So it reinforces that message and it gives the person a very easy way to provide us their name and at least their email address so that we can put them in some kind of a system. Absolutely. Right. So, um, okay. So we, and the landing page can be applied to the social media campaign, to the email campaign and to any other um, source that we're using to try to generate these leads. Maybe maybe we conduct a webinar. Mm Mm-hmm because people register for the webinar and it gives you some contact information. So even if a webinar, hundred people register, 30 people show up, you still have the 70 people that registered actually have a hundred total that you can then, you know, put into your system. So now we're, Mm -hmm. we're building up our leads and now we have to move into a nurturing camp, a nurturing program. Is Mm -hmm. it, are we on the right track here? We're on the right track. Absolutely. Okay. So what, so now let's say we've got 400 or 500. We've, we've grown our base of interested uh, surgeons. Where do we start triggering some emails to these people? Sure. So let me, uh, I'm going to go back to sharing my screen and let's talk about, let's talk about strategy and attitude first, and then we can talk about tactics. Okay. So this also is a repeat for people who attended our webinar, our podcast last week, which is the best marketing email marketing strategy is one where you are achieving your goals by helping your subscribers achieve their own goals. So every email should be wanted, helpful, well-segmented, and customer-focused. Okay. Now, you have two groups, and EasyCut has two groups. They have the neurosurgeons and the ENT surgeons. Right. Those are two separate segments, unless they are both performing the exact same procedure. (laughs) No, let's assume assume that they're they're different, where it's a similar procedure, but it's for a different purpose, a different, right. right. Yeah. So, So what you want to do is you want to, at the very beginning, you want to find out which segment those leads come come to. You can do that when you're deploying, 
You can do that with with the messaging and the language, and you can do that when you're partnering with a particular publication. So if you're partnering partnering with the publication that is specifically geared towards neurosurgeons, the leads that come in through that link should all be tagged inside your ESP as a neurosurgeon. And the same with the ENT Surgeon. So, so what you want to do then is you want to make sure that the messaging that goes out uses language so that you, you may want to refer to that specific procedure by name instead of saying it saves time at a crucial point during a, pro- a specific procedure. You want to say it saves time, you know, while you're and you, you, you use words that are very specific and that put the image of the procedure so that the, the surgeon can picture herself in the cert and the OR with the gloves and the instrument using it at that procedure. And, and the pain of having to switch, switch in two different instruments, you know, while they could be using one instrument to, to do the same tasks. So that's just the strategy around messaging is to use as concrete language as possible and to send separate messages to the variant, to the two different kinds of surgeons. Okay. And one thing I'll just mention right here that it might seem like a lot of common sense, but I can imagine people making this mistake. And it goes back to the segmentation you're talking about mm-hmm. is in your ESP, make sure that you keep the neurosurgeons list separate from the ENT surgeons in this particular case, because that'll help you track the results better. So build the two lists separately, correct? Well, it depends on how they, uh, which ESP you're using. Okay. So from a, from a theoretical sp- standpoint, you definitely want to have a way to call up only one surgeon type versus another. Got it. In some ESPs, that is managed through lists. In other ESPs, that is managed through tags. Okay. Um, so you really need to understand how your ESP does things because you know, you don't want to make things more complicated for yourself. But from a theoretical standpoint, from an agnostic, a vendor agnostic standpoint, you want to self, self you want to segment and follow the best practices for that particular ESP. Okay, very good. Okay, so let's continue talking about, you know, how do we how do we strategize around what messages to send to these surgeons? We had discussed last uh, last conversation. The, what HubSpot calls the flywheel, which right. is you're, you're attracting st- strangers, you're engaging prospects, and you're delighting customers. The attracting strangers part, email marketing has no play in that because you need to have somebody's email address before you can send them something. And we do not purchase email lists and we do not send messages to people who haven't told us they want to hear from us. So you don't use email for attracting strangers, but you definitely use it to engage and delight the people who will eventually become your prospects. Got it. Your customers. Right, right on. So, um, and also just to reinforce the point you made, just made the reason I was promoting a minute ago using trusted media, mm-hmm. um, who deploy for you, they will not sell you the list, but they will deploy an email for you. And from that, from that, um, email deployment, if you've done your work correctly, which we're going to talk about now, hopefully you get a number of people that do go to the landing page, fill out a lead and tell you that at least they have some level of interest. So I just want to make sure listeners understand that using 
media deployment is different than avoiding the purchase of a list. And Absolutely. In the last episode, we went into all the issues around purchasing lists. Yep, exactly right. Um, so when we're looking at the buyer's journey, we have the... Uh, I usually do five stages, but for the purposes of this conversation, we're going to use three. We have the awareness stage. That's when the person knows that they're frustrated with the way they're doing things currently. They are aware of the pain or the problem. In case of this particular use case, the surgeon is in a crucial moment in a surgery and they have to spend the time to switch from one instrument to another. And that's their pain point. Now, they don't know that there are solutions out there at this point. They are aware, they are at the pain aware stage. When they move into the consideration stage, now they have heard about EC Cut. Um, they have heard that there's an instrument out there who will replace these other two instruments. And they may not know if you are the only instrument uh, available on the market. Um, they may not know that your instrument is better for whatever reason than the other available products, but they are aware that there is a solution out there. And now they're starting to consider the fact that they could replace two instruments with one and they go into finding out more information about what is out there available to them to replace, to solve their, their problem or to ease their pain. And that's the solution aware uh, part of the, of the journey. And then they're at the decision stage and that's where they are provider aware. That is where they are aware that a company called EasyCut exists, that the product is called XYZ, that it's this, it costs this amount. They have read reviews on the product and they have read reviews on the competitors' products. And they're at a place where now they have all the data they need and they're about to make a decision as to which product to choose. And we, we call that uh, provider aware. And then the fourth, you know, at, in this particular module, module, the fourth stage is the purchase stage. They have, they are now going to be purchasing um, either from you or from a competitor. And so that is the buyer's journey. And the important thing about this is that the messaging and the type of content that you use is going to be different depending on the stage of awareness, uh, consideration, or decision. It depends on what stage they're in. That's how they're going. That's how you are going to decide what to provide them in terms of content. So for people who are at the awareness stage, you can do blog posts, social media posts, white papers, checklists, how-to videos, ebooks, educational webinars on how your product will solve the pain. They are at the pain stage. And what you want to say is, look at this video, here's the surgery conducted with, you know, this particular instrument versus the other two. When they are at the consideration stage, that's where you write product comparison. You take a look at the EasyCut product versus a competitor product, and you highlight which product is better and why. That's where you use case studies, and that's where you send free samples to your uh, to your surgeons. And when they are at the um, at the decision stage, uh, where they decide which instrument to purchase, you know that's when they are at the sales qualified lead place where maybe a discount or a consultation offer will push them over the edge to make a decision to, to make that purchase. And I think another bullet we could add to, I don't know if it'd be every column, but at least a couple of the columns would be uh, key opinion leader, you know, testimonials, 
It yep. can sometimes go hand in hand with a case study if you have the key opinion leader doing the case study. Yeah. So, but that can frequently help um, keep somebody's interest level up. So, I, this is a great slide, and the whole the concept that you have three different types of messages. I mean, you're still talking about the key benefit, mm -hmm. but then you're providing different information in the messaging. Okay, the one, the one last thing about this particular slide is this. They look like three distinct and discrete stages, but human beings do not have any logical thought or emotion that is distinct um, and discrete. That's so, correct. <laughs> right. so, so you can write a blog post on to to address some of the awareness stage and the consideration stage. These are malleable and flexible, but these are really good guidelines to use. Um, and again, you're always constantly testing to see which message is going to be resonating. But but this is a really good first step in terms of guiding you to think about when you're planning your content, you know, how to create a strategic plan for your content. And all of us in sales and marketing know that you create a sales process, but there are, there are some customers that the minute they see something, they get it. Wow, I get it. I understand yeah. it. And I'm buying it. And yep. it's like you go from zero to a hundred miles an hour in 10 seconds. And as opposed to having to walk through four or five, six uh, stages of a sales process. So yeah. I agree with you, but still, this is a great way to lay it out. I, but I'm going to let you keep going because, um, but I do have a question that sort of goes back to that slide in a second. Okay, go ahead and ask because um, the next slide is all about actual emails. Okay, so, very good. Yeah. Well, I guess the thing that this that this slide points out to me, and I have to admit, it's this is a mistake I have made in the past. You know, in in marketing campaigns, emails campaigns that I've done which have never been as thoroughly thought out as what you have been proposing. So I'm learning a lot here myself is that we, let's say of our, we have these 500, our list now is 500 combined neurosurgeons and ENT surgeons. And I was sitting there suggesting, well, you need to have these lists separated, but now I'm seeing that in addition to having them separated, you, you need to also flag each, Tell me if I'm wrong. You need to flag each person on the list as to where they might fit in these stages. Is that correct? So you really understand what email goes to who? Yeah, exactly. Okay. And yeah, and the way you do that flagging is based on a little bit on guesswork, a little bit on science. So uh, you can do things like when, you know, and I know that you're going to be talking to a marketing automation expert. Um, so, but we're going to jump into that a little bit. So, for example, if you write, three blog one two blog posts a week and one of them is specifically written for awareness stage people and you write another blog post specifically for consideration stage people what you can do inside marketing automation is look at who is spending more time in one place versus another um, or who clicked on one blog post versus another and that'll indicate to you that a particular person who ignored the awareness blog or maybe just skimmed it and moved on to the next one um, is more in the consideration stage. So when you're doing lead scoring, you can tweak the, the marketing automation so that it, it follows an individual person through what they're reading and how they're interacting with your brand and will do a really good guesstimate, a very well-educated guesstimate as to whether they are in the awareness stage or the consideration stage or the decision stage. 
Right, right. No, I, I think that's uh, uh, really good advice. But I think it's important for listeners to understand that over time, as you get more information about the people in this list, you do need to start to put them in a category so you're sending them the right message or you have the best chance of sending them the right message. Right. But be, but remember that the, that these stages are, we want them to flow. We want our, right. our leads to flow. So right. you, you want to make sure that you don't box them into a stage. Yes, mark them as being an awareness, but make sure that the lead generation process is is aware of the progress that the person is making into the next stage of the process. Right, right. Okay, very good. Any other questions? Well, let me just use an example. Okay. So, so in the email campaign, which we're going to get into some nitty-gritty in a second, but in, in the campaigning, whether it's uh, social media, email, uh, deployed email advertising, that's different than email nurturing. So let's okay. keep those two things separate. But somebody has asked for, you know, they cl- clicked on, a, they want a copy of a blog post, they want a white paper, and they, want the, they wanted the link or they clicked on the link to the how-to video. That indicates a reasonable amount of awareness type of interest in this particular stage. And you're thinking, oh, can we start to flow them into the, into the consideration stage? Then you hit them with a consideration type of email to see if you can move them into the consideration stage and you get no response. I guess in my mind, that might mean that, well, they're still in the awareness stage and you have to go back to them with something else, like, in, yep. like yep. the ebook or the or invite them to a webinar or something like that. They asked for a lot up front, but they didn't react when you tried to move them into the consideration stage. Yeah, that's exactly. That's why when we talked about testing, that's one of the things that you look at, you know, is okay. uh, not, you're not, not only testing the email for performance based on factors inside the email, but also you're looking at efficiency uh, and not efficiency, efficacy. And what is, uh, what message is resonating with a particular individual and a particular group? Right. And just for the listeners, a good ESP program and even possibly a basic marketing automation program is going to give you some of the tools to help you see these, get these measures, get this information so you can Mm -hmm. decide where to go next. Okay. Sorry. Keep going. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, did you have any other questions around strategy? Because now we're going to move into tactics. Let's move in. Let's move. All right. Move into tactics. Um, One of the questions that you had asked me to address was what makes a really good subject line? And yes. And this is a really common question. It's an important question, but it isn't a complete question. So what we're going to talk about right now is the email envelope. Um, and let's think about, you know, when you when you write a pencil and paper letter to somebody and on the outside of the envelope, you put in your name and your um, mailing postal address, and then you put in the recipient's mail and the postal address. And ideally, when you go to the mailbox and pull out the bills and the junk mail, and you see a, um, a message from your aunt or your cousin or whomever, because you know it's coming from them, you're more likely to open that first before you open PG&E, Comcast, or Verizon, or whatever other company bills you're getting. So the the email envelope component com- components also work in the same way. Depending on what the person sees in their inbox, they will decide to pick your 
email versus somebody else's to read first. So an email envelope includes the from name, the from email address, the subject line, and the preview text. Mm-hmm. And the from name can be your company name or it can be a person at your company. The email address uh, really matters because if you use a no reply at easycot.com, that is telling your prospects that you don't care what they have to say. Mm-hmm, so right. never, ever, ever use no reply at to send out a marketing email. It's basically saying here, uh, here's my message. I don't care if you like it or not. You always want to use an email address that that reflects that it's coming from an individual inside your company. And for those of you who don't know what a preview text is, the preview text is that message um, that you look at in your phone or inside the um, your your uh, email client that says something more about what's inside the email and what's the appetite. So in the first example on this slide, you see that the subject line reads, this is what you've been waiting for. And the preview text reads, there's no better time book now. So the subject line and the preview text go hand in hand with each other and they tell a story, a short story. The third example reads, your MLS listing updated updates from Thomas. And then it says, dear Lauren Smith, below are the updates. Now, from the perspective of, from the perspective of there's no better time book now <laughs> versus here are some updates, the book now has a better sense of urgency. And that may be the one that I click on simply because you know, the dear Lauren Smith below are the updates is not particularly interesting to me. So when you're putting together a subject line and a preview text, you want to make sure that they're telling a story and that the preview text isn't the salutation inside your email, because that that's just boring. Um, it's boring, it's lazy, and it's ineffective. Well, it's like fishing. You're, you're really looking to set the hook and you're, yep. you know, first thing is you want to get a, a bit of a nibble. That could be the subject line. And along with the preview line, you know, that's the hook. You want them to open the email. That's your objective. Yep. And if you, if your subject line isn't inspiring or the preview text isn't inspiring, it's going to go nowhere. And then the, like you said, the, um, the from in the name and email address, if, if that's suspicious, you're not going to get anywhere. Right. And in terms of a brand new company, for example, um, with a very catchy name like EasyCut, that's very short and concise. They, they may decide that using EasyCut is perfectly fine as the from name, or they may decide to use the name of the CEO. Let's say her name is Lauren. So it, it could be, it could be from Lauren at EasyCut. Right. Um, so, you know, this is where testing comes in again. You want to make sure that you're testing the from name, the subject line, and the preview text as you're moving through your campaigns. But th- yes, you're right. The main goal is for them to open the email. And you do that by getting all these four components right. And this is where I see a lot of people making big mistakes. Mm. Yeah, I do too. 
that's why I'm in email marketing because I got, <laughs> I got so sick of seeing all these bad emails. I thought I got to go in and put my two sons in, you know? <laughs> um, so we can, we can move on to design if you okay. want, or I yes. can, I can, Let's, okay. All right. Yes. So, well, okay. So we did a fantastic job with the envelope and now they have opened the email. What happens then? If you're using Outlook, and remember again, the percentage of American businesses using Outlook is about 40%. Doctors, it, the particular customer customers for EasyCut are, are two particular kinds of surgeons. Doctors tend to use iPhones a lot. They tend to look at their email in iPhone, and they may or may not be using Outlook. But because it is such a prevalent system within uh, the U.S. business sector in general, the, the odds are that your surgeons are opening at least a portion of their emails using their desktop and using the software provided to them from the hospital and health system. So the odds are pretty good that they're using Outlook. This email, <laughs> as you can see, has absolutely no images. Because when you're using Outlook, many of the Outlook versions default to not downloading emails from a particular brand new email email sender. So if a lot of my clients are customers of B2C um, email that get B2C emails from Lancome or from Macy's or you know Amazon, and they see all these all these emails with lots of images that are very image heavy, and then they want us to produce an email in B2B, especially in healthcare, that is comparable in design to B2C emails. And because of Outlook, because of other reasons, that's not possible. What you want to do is you want to make sure that the images that you use inside your email, if they disappear from the email, they don't take away from the story you're trying to tell. Interesting. Okay. You want the image to be addressing, not the main course. You also want to make sure that the image, if it is missing, tells you what the it, that the that the alt text inside the code that you wrote displays in a way that it provides context for that image. So in this particular example, we have something that first image that has not that we can't see says Mr. Porter. Mr. Porter is the brand name in this email, and Mr. Porter's logo is most likely that first image that we can't see. So a better description of that image would be Mr. Porter's logo. That way, the people who are reading this email without images get some of the information that you wanted your readers to get. So images, using images as a dressing is crucial, making sure that you have alternative text for those images so that if it doesn't display, you're not, your message is not completely gone. Got it. Okay. That's, that's really good. It's a big mistake. <laughs> the other thing um, that you want to do is you want to use responsive design. You want to make sure that your emails display as well on mobile devices as they do on desktops. And that is because up to 40, 50, sometimes 60%, depending on the list of people use mobile devices to open their, their emails. And you don't want to lose that big portion of your list because of a poorly designed mobile email. 
So always use responsive design. And then also when it comes to design, you want to follow some rules for accessibility. And before I address those, let me answer a question that's probably sitting in your mind, which is these doctors use their eyes to perform their work. Therefore, we know they are not visually impaired. And that is absolutely true. But because they are using their eyes all day long, you want to make sure that the email they get doesn't continue to aggravate eye fatigue. So that's one thing that accessibility does is it helps prevent eye fatigue. And the other thing it does is if you're doing it right, is it enables reading assistants like Siri, Alexa, um, to read emails to the doctor who may be wanting to read his emails while he's driving home or while he's getting ready in the morning or putting his feet up and drinking a cup of coffee. Now, that's so, interesting. I never even thought about that. Yep. So accessibility matters, not just for people who have accessibility issues, but also for the way that emails are being read today by everybody. Technology keeps expanding, and we need to make sure that 100% of our recipients are able to access emails in whatever way they choose to access those emails. Okay. So that's my little spiel on accessibility. <laughs> You got it. Those are good points. <laughs> so how do we make sure that our email um, is accessible? We want to use 14-point font or larger. We want to avoid thin fonts. Mm -hmm. We always want to, in, the, um, in, in languages where we write left to right, we want to write copy, align copy left to right. So we want to left align our copy because that's how our brains are used to seeing our copy. If you're addressing a market that writes uh, right to left or um, top to bottom, then you want to align the copy separate differently. But for, for people who speak English, Spanish, Romance languages, German, you want to make sure that you're left aligning your copy. Uh, you also want to make sure that you're using one point fine line spacing. Don't crunch up your text because, again, that contributes to eye fatigue. And this is incredibly important. Ensure that you have a really good text to color, text color to background color ratio. You have to make sure that, the con that there's a big contrast between the background color and the text. That impacts not only people who have uh, tired eyes, old eyes, but also people who are using their devices to read in sunny and glary conditions. If, if, if the sun hits your device the right way, you may kind of sort of be able to read the text. But if the, the contrast ratio is high, that reading is going to be a lot easier. So when we're thinking about our users, we want to think about them accessing their email everywhere, not just in their office, not just in a well-lighted, enclosed space, but everywhere. <laughs> and again, when we talked about images, make sure they have all text Make sure that the alt text is min meaningful uh, and make sure that your content, make sure that you're done hiding your content behind images so that if the image disappears, your content disappears. Okay. Any questions so far? No, no, this is great. Some of it is okay. common sense that I've employed before, but there's a couple things in here that I hadn't really thought about. And uh, so this is excellent. Yeah, you know, I spend a lot of time reading articles, uh, research papers on design, user experience, behavioral economics, and, you know, a lot of people make the mistake of center aligning your text, for example, and yes, it stands out, but it's, but science has found that it's more difficult to read. 
So you definitely can and should, for example, and we'll talk about CTAs later, but we're talking about alignment of texts. You definitely can and should center align your CTA, um, but that should be the exception, not the rule. You know, design matters. And uh, the other thing about design uh, that needs to be said that's important is that people who are used to designing for print media expect email design to look exactly the same in every device and in every email client. And that is impossible to do. So what you're going for is you're going for the message being consistent, the brand guidelines being consistent. But if the end user has Arial and you know has doesn't like Arial and uses Helvetica instead, you you know you can't dictate. You can try to dictate how the email looks in terms of fonts and whatnot. You have only so much leeway because of the user preferences when the email arrives. Don't berate your email marketer because. You know, on your cell phone, the email on your iPad, the email looks one way, and it and it looks differently on Android versus um, versus i you know iPhone. That's just the that's just the way the way technology works. Okay, and, and that's not what you should be focusing on. So, any questions on design? No. Okay. <laughs> so now that now that we've looked at design, let's talk. So your brain opens the email. The first thing they do is they want to skim and scan. If the design makes it impossible for you. To interact with the email in a positive way, the copywriting doesn't matter. But we've gotten through the design hurdle, and now the copywriting does matter. The first thing is talk like a human. <laughs> Nobody likes reading marketing marketing speak. I don't like reading marketing speak. You shouldn't like reading marketing speak. Your customers certainly don't. So address the person on the other side of your email as if they are a person because that's what they are and talk to them like another human being. Use language that is easily digestible. Remember, your email is not the only email they're reading. When they're looking at an email, they're not expecting to receive the same cognitive load as if they were reading a research paper. You're talking to very intelligent people, but they don't always wanna be reading research papers. And so when you're talking to them about email and an email, talk to them like a real person. Right. <laughs> Make paragraphs short and punchy. Use headings. Split the copy into manageable chunks so that it can be skimmed. A lot of people skim emails first and then read them. So they'll read the headlines first all the way through, and then they'll go back to the top and start reading the information that matters to them. Um, so they could be skipping paragraphs and only reading a specific paragraph under a specific headline that they liked, read, that, that, that caught their attention. Um, so make sure that those headlines or those headings inside the copy are relevant and write link text that is meaningful. So for example, click here and you underline the word here and that's gonna be your link to do X, Y, Z is not as effective as this paper includes, and if you highlight this paper includes, that is a much more effective text uh, link, link text than click here. Uh, okay. So, so those are some of the things that you should do when you're working uh, with copy. Now, also in, in the copy, what about the, a couple questions? One is personalizing the email. If, if you have that capability in your ESP, how, how do you feel about personalizing it? So it actually says, uh, Dear Dr. Smith. Personalization is awesome if you're doing it right. Okay. So when you're doing a salutation and it says, Dear Dr. Smith, make sure that if Dr. Smith's last name 
is not in your database, that you have code that does an if or, or if and, or if then type of logic. So that it, that it the code will do this. Look at the last name. If the last name is present, use it. If not, just use your doctor. Got it. Okay. Um, so you're, you you want to use that? Use that. But but here's the thing about personalization. Adding a person's name at the top is not the end all and be all of personalization. That should just be the tip of the iceberg. You also do personalization by addressing specific, like that segmentation we were talking about before, by adding language that addresses specific procedures, um, that addresses with, I'm talking about specificity and and tangibility, right? So that the person can see themselves using your product. So don't think that you are doing a fantastic job because you said, dear Dr. Smith, that's, that's basic stuff. Okay. No, sure that that I understand. Yeah. It makes perfect yeah. sense. A second question I have is the length, because I always fear that if something's too long, somebody's going to see it and they're going to think, well, I'm a little bit interested, but I'm really busy right now. I'll come back later. And when they do come back later, it's buried under 50 other emails. Yeah. You know, length matters, but not as much as you think. So, and this is, again, something that you can test, right? It could be that neurosurgeons are specifically excited about long-winded copy. Uh-huh. Who knows? I don't know because I don't deal with neurosurgeons today. But what you want to do is if you can get away with using long copy if you're following these guidelines. If the copy, if the text is big enough, if you're using headings, if you have enough line spacing, you can get away with it if the message warrants it. Don't add copy just for the sake of adding copy. Um, Use as many words as you need to convey your message, but always test. If you're concerned that your emails are too long, test. Like do an A-B test. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Any, anything else on copy? No, no, that's it. All right. So now let's talk about the call to action. Oh, yeah. Very good. <laughs> so these are common mistakes people use when it comes to call to action. They use generic call to action. It's like click here. Mm-hmm. Click here is not inspiring. It doesn't motivate me. It doesn't trigger my brain to do anything. They also have unclear calls to action. Click here is another example. I mean, it's not unclear, but what am I getting when I click, right? So it's not unclear from the perspective of the words make sense, right? But click here is is inferior to download the white paper or download white paper or read white paper. The other thing is, for some reason, people use calls, calls to action in the copy via links, but they forget to add a button um, at the bottom. Um, and that, that's what I call a hidden call to action. Yes, absolutely. If you want to add your call to action inside the first paragraph as a link, by all means do it. But don't forget that our brains are very visually oriented and a big orange or yellow or whatever brand color your button is, is a lot more catchy to the eye and a lot more actionable than a, than a link piece of content. So don't hide your call to action. Okay. The other thing is using different calls to action inside one email. Don't ask them to download the white paper and also watch the video and also subscribe to the newsletter. 
it's too much. Unless they're expecting a newsletter from you, which is a completely different animal, uh, where you, you, you are maybe aggregating three different uh, pieces of content and sending them out so that they can click. Of course, each piece of content is going to have its own call to action. But asking the reader to do more than one thing, unless it's a newsletter and that's what they're expecting, um, just leads to confusion and dilutes the main message. Again, you know, the main thing is that they're, do- they're asked to do one thing. Okay, um, and in the case of our particular issue with uh, Cut Easy is that the, they're trying to build their database. So these first emails that are going out, at least if we're thinking about these first emails where they're trying to build the database, you know, one call to action is going to be to get them to that landing page. Then, then in the second phase where you're starting to nurture these people that you've then gathered, um, again, I think you're right. On an email, one call to action is all people should really be confronted with. You, you just you don't want them thinking about what they're going to click on. You just want them to see something that's beneficial to them, feel good about it, and you know ask for more information. Right, and and let me make sure that we're being very clear. You can have the same call to action multiple times inside the email. So we're talking about too many different calls to action. Correct. You can Correct. you can add your call to action three or four times throughout the email in various ways. Just make sure that that's it's the same message that's going to 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 add to it. Got it. And and the last mistake, Ted, is and this is something that you've brought up before, which is they click on a link inside the email and they get taken to the homepage. Um, which is a complete mistake. They have to be routed to a specific landing page or a specific blog post or whatever it is that they want. You want to make sure that you're not going off message once the person clicks. Yeah, I've I've seen people, yeah, it goes to the homepage of the website of the company or it goes to the contact page Mm -hmm. um, of of the company. And so the poor individual that clicked on that doesn't learn anything new unless they're willing to navigate now and some companies assume that if they go to the homepage of the website, they're going to be willing to navigate around and learn. Well, it's not true. No. It's like you said, they're on their iPhone. They're standing in between you know, the exam lanes in their office and catching up on emails. And they've only got so many seconds you know, to respond yeah. and to do something. They're not going to go look at a website. Right. Not only that, but if they clicked on a, a link that said something like read the white paper and they get sent to the homepage, yeah. what, what the heck? So it takes people. So they're in, people are reading an email and they're in the groove, right? They're in the groove. They've read about you. They read the, the thing. They're interested in the white paper. They click on it. And then all of a sudden the groove is gone because now there's they have to think to get to that white paper. Uh, you're forcing them to think and you don't want to do that. You want to make sure that they're getting what they're what they want to get. If they click on the link to get a white paper, send them to the white paper landing page. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So that is all the content that I prepared in terms of slides, but we can most certainly continue talking about just, you know, anything. Okay, so <clears throat> no, th- these are really important things and I'm just going through um the outline that we had and we have covered everything in this. So hopefully if the fine folks at our little fictional company have followed our guidance, Mm -hmm. they've got 
you know, some emails that are number one, they have, they had an, perhaps an email to confirm that somebody was interested off of the campaign that they were doing, that they were conducting to gain additional people into their database. And now they're nurturing these people in the database. They understand that there might be several different levels of, of interest in the database. They've created some messages that uh, approach those different levels of interest. And now those messages are going out and people are responding to it. And from now on, it is a matter of understanding what that response means into whether they can move that person, you know, further down the funnel, you know, in as a prospect or not, or mm-hmm. if they need to keep feeding them additional information. And so that becomes another tactic yet that they have to keep feeding these people, you know, to, to keep them engaged and to move them along, you know, to where they can, hopefully hand it off to some type of a a salesperson who can then follow up more directly. Right. And when, you know, when you're talking with your marketing automation person, they'll cover things like what a, what a lead is, what a marketing qualified lead is, what a sales qualified lead is, you know, all those terms mean something. um, And it, and it directly impacts the buyer's journey. You got it. This is great. Well, Jeanette, once again, you hit it out of the park. This has been very, very good. You really appreciate the participation and the work that you've put into this. And I'm sure that uh, our listeners and viewers are going to get a lot out of it. My pleasure. I sure hope so. I, okay. I hope so because, yeah, email, email is a fantastic tool. You just have to make sure to know how to use it. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Thanks a lot, Jeanette. And uh, we'll be talking again soon, I'm sure. If not... Via email or possibly in the community, okay? Fantastic. My pleasure. Thanks, Ted. You bet. Another great interview with Jeanette Castaneda of Inbox PI. I can see why doing emails correctly are going to get results. There's lots to consider. The voice of the customer, the segments, are the appropriate emails going to the appropriate segments, and are you keeping track of those segments? To help us a little bit with that, though, we dive deeper into demand generation next week as we begin to explore marketing automation and how it contributes to demand generation and to the success of even small companies. It can be done. Another thing I'd like you to give some consideration to is the MedTech Leaders community at medtechleaders.mn.co. It's a great community with a lot of content. Some of the members say it's like a master class. And that's where the video casts of these productions go. So you can see the slides, which are very helpful when you're trying to keep track of all the information we're throwing at you. Thanks again for spending time with us today. If you like this podcast, please rate it, recommend it to a friend, and or subscribe. Now go win your week. Thank you.